Hello and welcome into NCBI's Technology Podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler. Thank you so much for joining us. This is episode number 43 for Christmas 2015. Well, we have our Christmas music. We have the Christmas tree. We have the snow. No, we don't have any snow. We don't even have a Christmas tree in the studio. We do have our Christmas music and hope you like it. Thank you so much for downloading and subscribing to our monthly technology podcast. I am Stuart Lawler. Very nice to be back with you again for Christmas. I can't believe it's Christmas already. It's just, it's crazy. We're with you uh, for the next 57 or so minutes. I do hope you're going to enjoy the podcast and wherever you're listening, whatever you may be doing at this very special time of the year, I wish you a very happy, peaceful and safe Christmas. Our email address is technologypodcast at ncbi.ie. If you'd like to get in touch, we always love to hear from people. And remember, NCBI are also on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to reach out to us using social media, well, we always love engagement through those channels as well. Right, I suppose I better tell you what's coming up over the next uh, 56 or so minutes as it is now. Well, we'll be speaking with Niall Gallagher, who's making a welcome return to talk to us about a new website and um, service that he's launched called ttsguides.com. Friend of the podcast, Josh O'Connor, is back, and it's so nice to catch up with Josh. This time, he set up his own business called InterAccess, and he has some very good news for those of us who use airline websites. And finally, Bin and Arjan, two lovely gentlemen from Canada, are with me to talk talk about a new device called the Buzz Clip. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. The letters TTS are probably familiar to many users of assistive technology. It uh, stands traditionally for text-to-speech. It's the synthetic voices that so many of us are using nowadays on our screen readers, screen magnification software. And indeed, in the mainstream, TTS or text-to-speech is used in a whole range of applications. Uh, For example, on hold systems on telephones. If you're ringing up to pay your online banking or your credit card bill, you're probably interacting at some point with TTS. In fact, I was in a tube station in London a couple of weeks ago and I heard TTS uh, very much alive and well. But there's another meaning for TTS that I came across during the week, and that's called tapping towards success. Because Niall Gallagher, who's at this stage a friend of the podcast, he's been on a few times, has come up with a brand new website called www.ttsguides.com. And it's just in time for Christmas. So when you've had your turkey and then you want to read up a bit on that new iDevice, that you might get for Christmas. Well, Niall has you covered. Niall, welcome back to the podcast. Great to have you. Hi, Stuart. It's brilliant to be back speaking with you again. Listen, thanks for getting in touch. You dropped me an email last week and said, I've just launched this new website called ttsguides.com. I went and had a look and I was really excited. So I suppose before we talk about the website and what's on it, um, what what gave you the idea? Because I've seen you on mailing lists lately. You've been helping people. Were you sort of thinking maybe there's a bit more to this? Yeah, I had saw all the mailing lists and I'm a member of a good few of them. And I had also met people in, at events for DigiPlace for All and other initiatives like that. And they would have been using the iPhone and iPods and iPads. 
but there was certain areas that um where I think people should be knowledgeable about the information wasn't actually there for them to read, so I just thought it'd be it'd be time to introduce something that would offer that information to people that would be beginning on iOS. Okay. Now, it, it, it's fair to say, you know, there's, there's lots of information already online. There's information, mm-hmm. you know, you, you only have to Google, um, you know, things, for example, like uh, voiceover gestures and, and, you know, any number of people have written about this. Mm-hmm. What's, what's different maybe about what you've done? Well, I took a, I was out of the box approach when I was writing. So it starts off, introducing the user to iOS and VoiceOver as two standalone elements and explains what each of them are and what they do. And then it builds on that so it guides the user through setting up the device, which I think is often done by either the person in the shop or it's done by someone other than the user and then they might be stuck with the configurations that someone else has decided for them. And then it goes into the home screen and the gestures that you mentioned. And I think that approach, it, I suppose it gently introduces a person to iOS and voiceover, which can be slightly overwhelming at the beginning if you're not used of that technology. And especially if you're not used to the whole touchscreen interface. Is it difficult, you know, writing this kind of stuff? Um, you know, you're, you're trying to imagine, I presume, the person sitting at their computer with their iDevice trying to learn to use it. And you're trying yeah. to put it into language that, that people might understand. You know, we've, we've produced here previously in this podcast, we've produced tutorials. We've talked to people who do tutorials. Some people like to learn, uh, you know, listening to somebody and some people like to learn reading. Is it difficult to do that? I do find it, or I did find it a bit difficult at the beginning. There was several drafts of the guides because at the start I was just going, oh, you turn it on, then you double tap, then you swipe. But then I had to sit back and think, oh, God, if this was 2009 before I got my iPhone, I would know what double tap or swipe or a two-finger scrub or any of these voiceover buzzwords, I would know what they meant. So I did have to take a step back and just look at it from a different okay. perspective. So, so you're, you're kind of, okay, you're, you're taking the jargon and you're dissecting it, I suppose. Yeah. It, it struck me, Niall, as I looked through the website last night, um, that... You know, there's and and we've talked already about the amount of stuff that's out there. Some of it's free, some of it you have to pay for. And there's some very good books and manuals written on iOS from a blind and low vision perspective. But you have to buy the whole thing, and you might only yeah. be interested in one section. You have given us the uh, the idea, or rather, um, the the facility to buy just one area. So maybe I just want to learn about my home screen. I don't have to buy any other bits, or at least I don't have to buy them until I'm ready. Yeah, because I thought if if it was someone that maybe had their iPhone set up by someone else, maybe it is the case that they only want to learn about 
the voiceover settings, the my wants change it from Samantha to Alex, or the my want to speed up the rate of voiceover. And if that was the case, there is no need them buying the other four chapters and just having to skip all that information and go right to the last page to get the piece of information they're actually interested in. Okay. When, when, when people buy the guides, and we'll talk about the prices in a second, but when people buy these guides, how do they get them? What formats do they come in? The default format, which the platform allows for, is EPUB. And that's the standard form which iPhones open directly in iBooks or a voice stream reader if other people are aware of that app. And it's it's a good format for the iPhone and for the Mac. And if people have Windows, there's other software that opens it too. But I'll be more than prepared to accommodate anyone if they want to purchase the guide and then if they're having difficulty opening it they can just drop me an email and I'll send them an alternative format. Alright, and speaking of purchasing, these guides are available for purchase, but they're very reasonable. I, I was looking last night and, and I was kind of thinking, if I needed to accomplish something, um, and it, they're very clearly written, by the way, they're really well written, if well, I needed to accomplish something, I'd be more than happy to pay two euros to learn how to do it, because that's the average price, isn't it? Yeah, it is more or less, they start off at 150 is top one, and then topic two to four are two euro and topic five is 250 okay. and then if it is the thing that you want to buy all five together and jump in they're 750 so it's a 25 percent discount on the five topics together all right if you bought them individually now there's an interactive element to this website as well you know which I found interesting and I suppose there there are two bits that that I found very interesting the first is the idea that users can vote for i suppose the next things that you might write so if people are listening to this just before christmas they can mm-hmm. submit a vote and you're going to write over christmas is that it and produce more in the new year yeah yeah definitely i'll yeah i'll produce according to the demand that's out there because um i just thought i could i could write several more topics or chapters of the guide but I thought, is there much point to me writing a topic on maybe something like cloud storage when people might not be interested in that? They might want to read about maybe communication, just managing contacts more effectively, or they might want to have a bit of fun on their new iOS device. So they might want to read about gaming or maybe they want to use Siri more effectively. So I just thought that the survey or the vote aspect was a good way of getting the opinion of really the people that matter. 
Good. People that are reading the guides. So if you're reading the guides and you think, you know, I'd really like something, then you have the opportunity to vote. And I presume people can can drop you an email as well and say, you know, Nyla, you know, like this. And and the other aspect of of the website that certainly I found very interesting, and it's one that's, it's it's always going to be an issue, I think, and that's the training and support. And I suppose nowadays, remote training, because more and more of us have the facilities to do it. Thankfully, broadband is getting better, I think. Anyway, I, I hope I'm not speaking just in very, Dublin terms, but I think broadband is getting a little better even outside of Dublin, that, yeah. that people can contact you. And I think, if I'm correct, you'll, you'll join them on Skype to do some training. Yeah, definitely. Skype or whatever service they use. Maybe if they FaceTime set up on their iPhone or it's there anyway, I can use that or any form of communication they're happy with. And I'll cover things in the guide that they may need additional support with they might have difficulty moving an app or creating folder and i'll be more than happy to help them with that if i can and then if there is something other than the guide outside of it and they don't want to wait until a guide folks in on that topic is published i can help them with that too and they can just go through that via paper, but it'll be very small. Yeah, you mentioned a, a, a small fee, and I, I, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm kind of guessing from from reading that that it's done on a case by case basis. So you, you kind of agree with the with the person based on the, the training time that's required. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And if they want to make an ongoing arrangement, I can arrange that too. But again, it'll be. It'll be very reasonable in the language the guides are priced. Okay. It's a really innovative idea. It's something that, that clearly is needed. Um, I, I've had a couple of people talking about it in the last few days, and I think people are interested in it. And hopefully after this podcast, people will go and check it out. We're putting it on the show notes. What's, what's in the future for, for, for TTS guides? Because one of the things I was thinking about was you're covering iOS very well already, and you're going to continue to do that, I know. Have you plans to look at other platforms in the future? I have been asked already on Twitter by someone they were interested in Android. And they were wondering what I uh, brought that operating system. And I have experience with Android, but at the moment, at least anyway, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be overly confident telling someone else how to use Android because I wouldn't be so experienced with it myself. But who knows never say never maybe the tapping towards success portfolio might broaden absolutely I, 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 I think you know and, and I suppose one of the one of the challenges with Android is always that the system is so open in in some ways no two devices might ever be the same and I, I would think it would be very difficult for you to write something that might translate across a whole, you know, a whole load of users, unless people had very similar configurations to yours. Yeah, it is very, there is no, I suppose there is no universal Android platform, because if you have a Motorola, it's totally different to a Samsung. And then you can have these separate applications, which close off Android totally, and you're in a completely different setup where you might need a guide. So. 
Okay, but it's something that you're going to look at in the future anyway, and I suppose, yeah. who, who knows? Yeah. I, I think the great thing about Android and, and open source is it, it literally is changing every day. And, and I think that's yeah. really important for us to keep an eye on it um, as, as people who, who are interested in technology. Niall, before you go, um, I know you have a, a code, a coupon code for our technology podcast listeners so they can experience some of these guides. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I do. I have a code and it's podcast 2015. Podcast 2015. Uppercase. Oh, so uppercase. So all, 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 all uppercase. All uppercase all and right. no spaces. Right, and yeah. it'll take off 25% off your cart at the end. That's a very nice Christmas present, Niall. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll put that uh, on the show notes as well. But remember that code, all uppercase, podcast 2015, 25% off whatever you purchase uh, at uh, ttsguides.com. Niall, thanks a million. Fantastic. And all the very best with it. We'll check in with you, I'm sure, at some point in 2016. But for the moment, have a, a lovely Christmas. And I hope you get a bit of rest and go away from TTS Guides for a few days, okay? <laughs> cool, sure. Thank you. You too. You're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast. It's our Christmas edition, and I'm sitting in my office, and it's just coming up to Christmas. Thankfully, I'm not alone. I'm delighted once again to be joined by Josh O'Connor. And I was about to say Josh O'Connor of CFIT. Uh, we come to that in a sec. But first of all, Josh, you're welcome. Hey, Stuart. Nice to, uh, nice to we, be with you we, again. Nice to have you. And we plugged you on the last uh, edition of the podcast to say Josh is going to be with us. To, to talk all things accessibility, because I suppose sometimes I feel, Josh, in terms of accessibility, we're doing really well. We jump three steps forward and then six steps back with something. But we might come to that in a minute. Before that, though, I did allude to CFIT you're no longer with CFIT you're not even no, you're not, no longer with NCBI you just popped into my office to have a chat that's right that's right what, you've been you've set up your own business called InterAccess I have I've set up my own company InterAccess Accessible UX um, so I'm now working for myself and doing accessibility auditing you know consultancy and um, many of the things I did in NCBI, except I'm just doing them for myself now. <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting, I have to say, because from, from my perspective as a, as a colleague of yours, and you know, we're friends outside of work, I suppose we should say, yeah. but that the, the transition hasn't been very big, because I'm still sending you emails going, Josh, what do you think of this uh, website or whatever? You know? <laughs> What's it been like for you transitioning to working for yourself, I suppose, being your own boss and, and moving from, you know, you were, you were here for, for 10 years. What was that like? Well, it's, it's been weird. Uh, you know, it has been. It's been weird. I mean, I'm very fond of, of you and I've got friends here at NCBI and very fond of the organization. I have many, many fond memories and years uh, here. Um, it's a great organization to work for. So it has been weird. It's been quite a challenge. Um, but on the other hand, it's been really exciting and it's been I'm my own boss. Um, at NCBI, you know, CFIT had a certain degree of independence and, you know, we made that work and played to our strengths. And now I'm just doing it except, you know, <laughs> if the bills aren't paid at the end of the month, yeah. I've got questions my, to answer. My, um, <laughs> my dad, uh, I suppose, well, he still does run his own business. He's, he's run his own business now for... 40 odd years and he would have always said you know you wake up in the morning if you're not feeling too well well you know you still have to get up because there's no sick days there's no sick no. pay there's just a different it's a different mindset isn't it it's a different mindset um, but I do think I was prepared for for uh, this 
change and transition a little bit better because I had freelanced for a, um, a time and I had experience of you know basically being my own boss so to speak with varying degrees of success shall we say in okay. the past so you know I think as well I think I'm, I'm quite an independent person and uh, uh, I had no you know silver spoon in my life or sugar daddy to pay any bills I didn't grow up uh, with anything like that so you know you get what you you get through what you do okay. you know so and, uh, and has, has being uh, has, has I suppose being your own boss and running your own business allowed you to maybe diversify a little I mean can you do things maybe that you weren't doing as much with CFIT because you can now work with a wider group of, of people or, or not well, I would say no in the sense that CFIT never constrained me, in a sense. I okay. mean, it was something that was always, we always did what we thought, Mark and I, you know, um, Mark McGuinness and I, we always did what we thought, you know, needed to be done at any particular point in time and played to our particular strengths and also to our interests. And I, working with Mark was great and I learned a lot um, about myself working with him, I guess, like any good life experience should should teach you those things. So. I guess, um, you know, really, you know, I wasn't in any way constrained. And all I'm doing now is, um, you know, I guess, going where there's a need. I mean, I'll have to be certainly more adaptable, you know. Mm -hmm. You'll have to adapt to whatever, you know, people require in terms of what they need from their consultancy, what their accessibility requirements are, what their support requirements are. But, you know, that hasn't... And that changes in the sense of the technological landscape, landscape changes. But, you know, really... Uh, I guess no would be the answer just right. to, to, to break it down. Okay, it? well, look at uh, best to look with, with the new new business. Thanks a million. The new, the new initiative, InterAccess. We've put a, a link on the website to interaccess.ie. Now, you know, Josh, we, we're, I suppose nowadays we're almost become accustomed to, or at least we expect, anyway, we, you know, we open a website and hey presto, it's accessible. And I uh, don't want to do a name and shaming on this podcast, but I mean, I'll there, go on. There, are, <laughs> there are some websites we open and we're just amazed at how it's it's gone backwards. You know, some websites redesign, bring a new design. And I have to say, Josh, in the last little while, I've been rather frustrated by the airline sector. And, and in fairness, it's not just one airline. I want to say that there's been at least three I've had difficulties with. And it's been quite difficult because not only has the uh, website not been really working then I try the app and usually the app is worse are things changing is there is there a sort of a are we are, are we moving away from accessibility towards funky design again or, or where are we on that well uh, I guess first to say design and good design functional design and aesthetics aren't mutually exclusive so the two things should support each other for a start um, but I guess things are going to change particularly with the airline industry and I'll tell you why in a minute but um, they're going to change and they're going to be changing around now okay um, the reason for that is primarily because in the US now the Department of Transport um, are under what's called the ACAA which is the Air Carriers Accessibility Act now that means as of December the 12th this year airline carriers flying in and out of the US have to have a particular level of accessibility they have to be basically WCAG AA compliant whether they're US airlines or not whether they're US airlines oh, or right. not if they're flying in and out of the US that affects, the, um, affects them so that's coming on stream right now people probably around the time you know the people are actually listening to this um, it's coming on stream so basically various airlines are in various degrees of preparedness and chaos so to speak uh, with that looming deadline 
that that level of accessibility obviously would mean because at the moment there are some let's say challenges for some people you know doing something like for example getting a, a you want to book a flight to i don't know you're going to say new york yeah. and new york and mm-hmm. uh you, you you know you get your search results back and the, you the spread over three days and there's eight different flight options sometimes those things can be quite difficult to select are, are you talking about the accessibility will improve in that area or yes and okay. it's going to improve in several areas first there's actually two different stages to this particular thing the first stage is that under the ACA, on ACAA, um, airlines are going to have to have six core functions um, accessible. And they basically are being able to book a flight, modify your flight, so on and so forth, right? Book ancillaries. Ancillaries are like extra, mm. extra things, things like that. Um, change your flight details. Um, so there's several things that airlines are forced, so to speak, to focus on now, right? Then by December the 12th next year, the rest of the actual um, um, site has to be accessible. I think that may even impact on mobile as well, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, So suffice to say, those things are um, where energy's being focused on, right? Um, Also, as a part of this, the airlines have had to have done some user testing, which is very interesting too, because they've mandated it as a part of the the federal uh, ruling. Um, so user testing has to be a part of it, and I've you know we've been working with um, with a software provider who builds the platforms used by the airline industry, and we've been working um, with them. I've been working with them over the last six months to to get ready for several of their clients. You know, the like you know who, who uh, I don't want to name names. Yeah, now, but but, but actually know, that's it's, it's interesting you say that because I, and I know because I, I, I spoke to you about this previously. Yeah, I didn't know, and you told me that. The, generally, a number of airlines it may actually use the same back-end booking engine, if you like. These guys create a platform and sell it to airlines, whereas I was That's right. maybe very naively thought that every airline designs their own. So they don't even do that. So really, it's to get the guys who design the booking engines to yes. be successful. That's right. Well, actually, there's two, there's two parts. That's a part of it. The airline industry is powered by particular platforms that... that, that um, they actually can sell out, as you say, in a, in a kind of a modular way to different clients. Um, but the core platform is the same. So I was working with a company here based in Dublin who are actually um, one of the world's leading providers of those platforms for the airline industry. So the work that we did um, is going to bubble up into the actual um you know the final user experience mm. for people like yourself and people who are booking the flights and whatnot over the next while but um you know how that will translate into what each individual airline does is also you know largely down to the airline because the back end is only the back end the front end of the thing has to be customized and done correctly and whatnot by the actual airline themselves so it's there's um, um two there are two prongs to that particular thing so, so, the, so there know? needs to be a sort of a, a concerted effort between okay the back end designers the guys that you've talked about and yeah. then the airlines themselves have to say our front end needs to be usable so the, the, exactly and they need, they, the, those things need to be in sync okay. but suffice to say there there will be um, changes and it will be interesting for all of your listeners to like you know let us know about have they noticed those changes over the coming months because i think 
those things are going to come on stream. That's that's really positive news, though, isn't it? That, that yeah, you're telling us this is uh, you said you know 12th of December this year is when the first batch of changes have to be in. That's right, and 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 it's a hard deadline. Um, and there's also serious penalties. There's twenty seven thousand dollar a day penalties for airlines wow. that aren't compliant. Glad I'm not running in the airline business. <laughs> okay, so so the, the, there's some exciting. There's clearly. Um, there's an awareness then, obviously, by the, the policymakers, and, and I suppose in the US in particular, there's an awareness, is there, at government level, that stuff needs to be accessible. And they, they really, they're really trying to make it happen by imposing these penalties. That's right. Um, that's right. There's also a growing awareness of the business case for accessibility. Uh, and I think that the business case for accessibility is something, though, that still needs work. Because, you know, the stick approach is one thing. It's only, but it's only one aspect of it, um, in the in the sense of like an organisation being sued or incru- accruing penalties mm. for not being compliant, so on and so forth. Now that's one form of motivation to do the right thing, so to speak. But it's much much better to try and get people on side and say, well, look, actually, if you make your stuff accessible, form must follow function, and if you do that, it will have a net benefit to all users, regardless of ability. And that uh, is really one should also be a major driver, not just the stick. Um, and it has been an interesting thing for me, Stu, because I've noticed a very, very big difference between the accessibility approaches in Europe um, and various things I've worked on in Europe and in Ireland and then clients I have in the US who, you know, there's a totally different culture. The US is very litigious. They're terrified of being sued and that's a big, big driver behind it. Mm. And I think really any culture of fear will only really manifest a minimum compliance you know, it has to go beyond just yeah. a culture of minimum compliance. And I suppose it has to be seen as not just the right thing to do, but just the thing to do. You know, as you're building a site, accessibility is just there. You shouldn't even have to be something that people spend lots of time thinking about. That's right. It should just be a part of just good practice. Okay. Now, on that note, right, because I suppose things people often ask us, and I suppose it's queries we've often received in here to NCBI, and I know you've, you've received millions of them, I'm sure, you know, someone comes across a, a poorly designed website, or, you know, the experience they're having is not good on their, with their particular assistive technology, or what is in fact much more happening nowadays, which is more prominent, is the whole app, the experience of a mobile app that you get it, you're very excited, you download it, you've probably paid for it in, in some cases, and it doesn't work. How can people maybe lobby effectively to get things better for themselves? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, kind of joking about this earlier, I would have said talk to CFIT. <laughs> well, now that CFIT, uh, you know, I suppose now that now that NCBI's um, focus, if you like, in yeah. some of this stuff has changed a little bit, yeah. and whilst we're still working very actively with people like yourself, how can how can visually impaired people kind of lobby? Are there ways people can can even alert? the web designer or the, or the app developer or whatever, you know, is, is writing a polite email still a good idea? It's still a great idea. Yeah. I mean, really, it is. And it's, it's contacting people and letting people know that there's actually an issue in the first place is the way to do it, you know. Because if you don't do it, well, then, uh, and you complain and moan about it, well, then, sure, like, you're not really going to be getting very far, right? right. Okay. You know, so really, you have to try and take, be a little bit proactive and, you know, to some degree, take responsibility yourself as an end user and say well look actually this isn't working and I know it's going to also impact other people and then contact the people directly Um, in terms of a cohesive approach though organizational approaches at this point I really don't know I mean 
the usual channels are what? I mean, what would you do? Go to some kind of um, um, government website or try and get some kind mm. of government people on side? Or if, if, it's a, if, it's, if it's a public sector thing in yeah. Ireland, you've certainly got more scope because yeah. you can kind of, there, is, there are legislative requirements in Ireland and whatnot. If it's a commercial thing, you're pretty much at the mercy of whether the actual person who's built this cares or not is interested or whether they're interested in it. Some people have talked about and have, 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 have had good success, not just in Ireland, but I suppose around the world, using social media because it's very public. And you say, you know, at, I don't know, um, Stuart Lawler Limited. Yeah. It has a really bad booking page. I can not terrible. Use it. I couldn't. You never use it. You know, so, so suddenly, like everybody who follows that Stuart Lawler Limited or follows this person is seeing, oh, what's this about? And then they're trying to track the conversation. And it's in the interest of Stuart Lawler Limited to kind of come back on Twitter and go, okay, we we certainly thank you for you know raising this. Do you think that's? Do you think that works? Uh, the, the, the mob rule via Twitter, huh? Um, <laughs> I suppose it's a legitimate way of doing it. Yeah. Um, because they, those things can gain um, traction quite quickly. Mm. Um, a public shaming, an accessibility shaming on the, in the Twitter sphere. Um, you know, yeah, I guess those things can, because nobody wants bad press really either. You know, so you can do these things, I guess, via Facebook or Twitter um, if, if you have a mind to do it. And the more people that then pipe in, I guess, the more traction those things will gain. Okay. Because, you know, a lot of people do take that very seriously as well, you know, in the sense that they don't want their organization to look bad. Yeah. And, and I suppose I would just remind people who are listening to this podcast, if, if you do come across something that is not working for you, there is always the option as well to give us a shout here at NCBI, because with your technology trainers, we can have a look at it. There could, and I mean, I think it's fair to say, Josh, there are instances, aren't there, when it's the assistive technology at fault, not the, or maybe someone just needs a little bit of training, a little bit of help using a browser. Well, you know, there, yeah. there are sometimes those there things. There are, and I mean, that's, that's a whole other uh, conversation piece, too, and it's, but it's an, an interesting one about user agent li- uh, uh, literacy, you know, digital literacy around assistive technology has mm. been a massive issue, I think, because screen readers are, as you know, like they're complicated, very difficult pieces of software to really understand and to use properly, and people are on different, you know, levels of ability, and there could be times when actually, you know, the thing is actually okay, but the end user might know what to do. But having said that, there are really good people on the ground, the IT trainers in NCBI, who I think, you know, are in a position to... Um, um, you know, talk to end users about their their issues that they have, and might even help you know figure some things out. The 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 other thing I wanted to talk to you about today, um, and I know it's something that I suppose you've talked to me about for quite a while, and I have to profess to not um, knowing a lot about this, but is standards groups and groups, I suppose, uh, internationally who really. Uh, if I want to use a, a, for, for, for want of a better phrase help to run the web um, so I'm thinking of groups like the WCAG uh, that you're a member of uh, and the, um, some of the HTML5 working groups can you tell us a little bit about your inputs into those groups and what sort of stuff you've been doing well I guess I first started in W3C I suppose in a serious way around 2008 when I did some user testing with your good self of the um, data tables using the summary oh, attributes. Yes, yeah. So we were, um, you know, data tables are like just bits of, of, of tabular data, uh, information on a screen which is marked up in a particular way and if it's done in an accessible way, screen readers can actually understand the association between table headers and data cells and whatnot. Just, just as an aside there, just in case we, we don't want to lose the crowd. Um, so, 
you know, we did some user testing and then that got the interest of a guy in Google who, who said, come to Boston and, um, you know, take part in our working group meeting at W3C. And I said, okay, um, first class tickets, please. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> no, they weren't first class. I was, I was slumming it in the economy, you know. But anyway, um, I went there and I had been very interested in W3C for years because W3C, they define the standards that, you know, are used to build the web, you know. So... I found, um, basically started to get involved and I found it like very, um, a very, in some ways, non-hierarchical organization. It's very much a meritocracy in the sense that if you've got skills and experience in a particular area, you know, not just accessibility, there's lots of different aspects to it, that if you can add to the canon of knowledge or the standards that are developed, you know, usually there's a very open policy there. And I think to some degree I... Um, I took the ball and ran with it for years and then I ended up working on the research and development working group. I ended up working in the protocols and formats working group which you know, d- uh, um, develops the languages like ARIA and, you know, which helped to make applications accessible. And then I ended up finally running the HTML5 ARIA task force um, which was developing techniques for WCAG and then finally I took over as co-chair of the WCAG working group about two, two years ago. Some of this stuff is... You know, well, I suppose um, a lot of this stuff is, is kind of highly technical stuff, it, and and it's stuff that I suppose you 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 live, you, you kind of eat and breathe some of this stuff. Mm. How how kind of how long or how much change have you seen in what you guys have? Has much of what you've recommended been implemented? I suppose into the standard mainstream coding systems that we use to use that rather that are used to create the web. Yes, I think they have been, particularly ARIA. ARIA has been an amazing um, t- language. It's an amazing language. It's an annotation language used almost in a way it was designed as a bridge for when HTML4 didn't work and the HTML5 stuff wasn't implemented. So what were people with disabilities to do when they come across complex or um, <coughs> pardon me, non-standard patterns online? So ARIA take-up kind of blew me away how quickly this language got um, pushed into the ecosystem and ended up getting you know, implemented by developers, partially, I think, through the uptake in, of libraries like jQuery and things like that. That made it much more accessible with a capital A to develop, with a, a lowercase a, to developers. They could actually use these languages out of the box in predefined widgets via the frameworks that they were using to build um, applications. So all of that stuff, I think, was really, really positive. And yeah, I have seen, um, I have seen positive impact on these things. I um, just wanted to tell you a little bit about some of the work that we've been doing in the WCAG Working Group because it does. Um, there's been some big changes lately. For a start, we have um, started several new task forces within the WCAG Working Group. One is mobile, um, a mobile accessibility task force, and the other is a cognitive accessibility task force so those there's also a low vision task force as well because one of the criticisms of WCAG of the web content accessibility guidelines had been for years that it hadn't done enough for people with cognitive impairments right and also that you know people would say that oh some of the success criteria in WCAG are not necessarily um, geared well towards people with low vision needs you know so we've started a couple of task forces in the working group who are looking at creating new techniques uh, for WCAG, doing research on you know cognitive accessibility um, and low vision 
So there are three exciting kind of initiatives that that we have running just at the moment. So just to let I wanted to let people know about that. One of the things uh, that I was just interested, Josh, to, to, to mention, I was chatting with Colin Kenny here a couple of weeks ago, and anyone who, who knows Colin's our information systems manager, a good guy, he was on the August edition of our podcast, I think, if you haven't heard that, check him out. Um, we were talking, Josh, about the fact that we're moving more and more towards a web-based I suppose, computer world. Um, he was talking about Office 2016, for example, where Microsoft are trying. They haven't done it yet, but they're certainly encouraging people, uh, you know, don't bother installing the Office apps. Don't install Word or Outlook or Excel. Log into a portal and you can use them online. And I remember thinking, that's all very well, but if one thing, I mean, let's even say outside of the accessibility of the thing, if one thing breaks in that chain, you are essentially without your computer because your computer is almost virtual on the web. Are we going that way, do you think? We are. Um, we can see companies like Adobe use uh, subscription-based models for their software now, for example. So you don't you know, uh, download and install individual uh, apps the way you used to or get the disk in the post, all that kind of thing. It's very much cloud-based subscriptions. Um, they're terrified of getting ripped off, for one thing. And um, software you know, piracy is pretty rampant and was... Uh, was more so in the past so this is one way of kind of clamping down on all of that um, as I said earlier though it was a bit like we had you know nine toes in this world and one toe in that world now we've got a uh, you know six toes in this world four in that and now you know it's it's decreasing more and more um, but I guess these are just you know the way of so-called progress it's the way it's okay. yeah. all right it, it you know it, it's it's going to be i think exciting in the next year or so you've you've given us very positive uh, indications there a little while ago about the airline industry and some of the yes. legislative requirements that are making moves happen so i'm going to be very interested to check in with that um thank you for for coming in i i, I suspect 2015 has been a, a sort of a, a, a um, an interesting year for you you started here in ncbi here you are sitting in my office it's almost christmas time and you're running your own business yeah so so thank you for taking the time to come in. I hope, thank you, I hope you're going to come back in 2016. Absolutely. Um, and have a very, very happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to everyone. God bless us all, each and every one. You're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast. It's our Christmas edition, and we've something really interesting for our Christmas edition. You might buy this as a Christmas present next year, and hopefully even before next year. Because I'm delighted to be joined on Skype from Canada by Arjan Mali and Bin Liu, who are the guys behind something I came across called Buzz Clip. Guys, welcome, first of all, to our podcast. Thank you for taking the time. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having yep. us. Um, it's it's evening as I record here in Dublin. I think it's afternoon for you guys in Canada. So, yeah, it's um, around 3 p.m. All right. Um, so, Arjun, um, I think about a week or so ago, uh, somebody in my office sent me an email and said, you need to look at this. And funny, I'd seen something about it on Twitter as well, something called the Buzz Clip. And if I can best try to describe it, and then I'll, I'll sort of hand over to you guys, I was thinking of this as I, as a, a long cane user, and only last week I came into work one day and somebody said, oh, God, Stuart, what happened to your forehead? And I said, I had my annual run-in with a pole. And, and that was because I was walking too fast and not concentrating, and I hit a pole because my upper... Uh, my um, upper body, I suppose, was, wasn't being uh, protected by the cane. You guys are developing a device that might do that. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, that's correct. So uh, what we've come up with uh, just recently is something called the buzz clip. So essentially, it's a small, discrete, wearable clip uh, that has an ultrasound sensor on it. And the sensor detects things that are one or two meters away from you. And whatever it picks up within that field, it, it lets you know through vibrations. So the closer you get to certain obstacles, particularly obstacles that are above the waist that a, a guide dog or a cane might miss, uh, it will address those obstacles there and it will basically let you know through vibration how far the, far you are from them. Okay, and, and I, I notice on your website you're very clear in saying this will complement. It doesn't replace the existing mobility aids and, and you're quite clear about that as well. Yeah, we are, um, and Ben, just just tell me because one of the things I'm interested in, you're, I, 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 I think I'm correct in saying that you're two, uh, you're two fully sighted guys. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. So how do how do two fully sighted guys look at it, see a project like this? Uh, so uh, my uh, my dad actually has glaucoma, and uh, I think it's called uh, the closed corner kind, the one that you can't, uh, you know, this operation for glaucoma to relieve the pressure. Sure. It doesn't cure it, but uh, you know, it uh, slows the progression, right? So my dad, uh, he's, uh, his condition is inoperable, and he's already you know, over 50 now. So I'm hoping to build a, not just one, but you know, several products that uh, he might use. Now, for a device like this, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that it's, you know, when we, when we see devices that we wear, we want them to be discreet, we want them to be small, we don't want to look different. And sometimes what people have been reluctant about some of this technology is that it looks gaudy. People might feel a little more vulnerable walking around. Has that sort of stuff come up in your in your testing and your research? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a big part of the feedback was um, they didn't want any sort of bulky contraption um, that you'd either clip on yourself or on the cane that attracts a lot of attention. So we tried to take a spin on it where we provide something that's really functional and useful to someone, but at the same time is aesthetically pleasing and and discreet. Yeah, so just 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 to add on to that as well. I mean, uh, you know, it, like you guys definitely know for sure. Uh, this being other ultrasonic based uh, device that came out before, like it's, it's especially ones that are based on canes. Okay, but uh, you know, like you said, a lot of these uh, devices are very bulky, and uh, you know, but it's just not easy to carry around, right? So our main focus when we started, you know, after talking to a lot of people here in Canada and also people in India, our focus became on you know. Very, very specific points. One, it has to be really discreet and good looking. Number two, we had to shrink it down. And number three, still keep our price lower, which is another big thing, right? Because as you know, with electronics, the smaller you go by every inch, you know, the price goes up exponentially. But I think we've we've accomplished our initial goals in the in the sense that our device ended up being, you know, extremely small. Very good looking, and uh, our price is probably the lowest compared to a lot of stuff that came out before. Okay, I, I, I remember a device uh, going back, I'd say, nearly 10 years called the Bodyguard. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it came from Austria, Germany, somewhere like that. And uh, you put this thing around your waist. There were a couple of different connectors. It was quite a large, almost like a small computer, and mm-hmm. it was meant to sort of detect overhead uh, objects. Uh, and it, it didn't really do a great job, to be honest, or at least not with me in my tests. Now, we, um, you mentioned prices there, uh, Ben. We, we normally talk about price at the very end, but let's, because I think people will probably be thinking as they're listening to this, device that you can wear, a small device that will pick up these um, objects that a cane or a dog may not get what price would we be talking about so i i guess actually um 
I want to ask you what uh, what was the price of that uh, bodyguard device you mentioned? I, I actually never heard of it. What, what, is the, what was the price of the bodyguard? I I have a feeling. I have a, I, 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 don't, I I think somewhere around three hundred euros. Three hundred euros. Okay, so our price that uh, our sort of retail price next year uh, is going to be one hundred ninety nine US dollars. Wow. And uh, right now on the Indigo campaign because it's pre orders, uh, it's actually discounted to one hundred twenty nine dollars. So I yeah, and we we probably should state that that at time of recording, uh, there is um, an Indigo Go campaign which is a Kickstarter, which for people who don't know is where you just throw it into the open, isn't it? And you ask people to help to make a contribution to fund. Uh, the product in its infancy and then uh, in return people can have the option to buy first uh, by the time this podcast is being listened to guys that campaign has closed if i'm if i'm not mistaken uh, yeah. yeah yeah okay so so you're hoping to raise a certain amount of money to get going how how quickly might we see this device out uh so on the campaign right now we were, we were already uh taking in pre-orders and then we plan to ship them out to everyone by April of next year. Okay. Now a device like this uh, I suppose I'm I'm thinking two things. First of all, I go out in the morning and I I turn it on and I'm walking along, will it vibrate? Will it how will it how will it detect? How will it give me so essentially when you first pick it up and then clip it onto yourself, uh you sort of twist um, the top, which is essentially the switch as well. So once you twist it, it'll vibrate um, a few times, indicating its battery level. So if it's at full battery, it'll vibrate four times, letting you know the battery's full. Battery's full, and then it will um, kick, kick, kick into gear and do its uh, detecting thing. And then, sort of, the closer you get to certain obstacles, the vibrations pick up. And right when you're about 50 centimeters away from something, so about arm's length, it'll uh, have three rapid vibrations. Uh, to sort of uh, tell you to either stop or, or slow down. I, I, I suppose I, I like straight away there the discreteness, the vibrations. You're not having beeps. It's not another, yet another sound to have to listen to in the environment as you travel along. Exactly. So that's another thing that came up a lot, right? That echolocation is really important. And then one of our close friends, um, <clears throat> he has his, his audio GPS and his bone conducting headphones. He has so many things um, talking to him at the same time that he doesn't want you know, another audible sort of um, device uh, to add on to that. One of the things when I hear about products like this, and I suppose we're thinking (laughs) into the future, have you guys got ideas how a device like this might be enhanced, might be linked? Maybe, you know, somebody mentioned their GPS or a smartphone. Are there things, other things you might like this device to do in the future? So, absolutely. Um, I guess there's a few different angles that uh, we look at it uh, in terms of future development. So number one, obviously, is to improve upon the uh, the obstacle detection side, right? So starting like being able to give the user more feedback on their environment, not just you know distance, maybe direction as well, maybe eventually shape, right? This is just a step by step process. And uh, then on the other end is the connectivity side. So with all the GPS, with all the new Bluetooth tag technology, and all these things coming out, right? So we want to incorporate it into the entire ecosystem and have it you know, as a hardware piece that can give you feedback based on anything at the end of the day, right? Because vibrations, there's so many ways to play with the pattern. And uh, that's sort of why we made the bus clip such a simple product to start with. We want the user to get uh, used to this t- type of technology and get more used to haptic feedback. And as we add more and more information to it, this becomes a new source of information that people can comprehend easily. 
I could see it being a device that might be potentially very useful, guys, in somewhere like busy airport terminal, train station, something like that. And, you know, there's lots of things around you, but you're being aided somewhat in your navigation and as you become more um, adept at, at using it by the vibrations. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, yeah, as you, as, uh, since you uh, mentioned, you know, use cases, right, I'll actually give you a few very interesting examples. So one of the most interesting things that uh, uh, Arjun and I have experienced through the, the development of this product is that uh, it's, it's very interesting how new use cases start to arise that we never expected as the device got smaller and simpler. So uh, one example I'll give you is because it's hands-free, right? So for a lot of Kane users, they are loving the factors. Our testers are loving the fact that, you know, they can actually use this in a lineup and they can keep, in, you know, they can keep up with the line perfectly without bumping to the person in front of them or lagging behind. That's one of the things. And then, you know, we have people using it to find their mailboxes outside the house and we have people trying to find, you know, where the garbage bin has been moved after garbage day. It's, it's just a lot of very interesting little details that keeps coming up and that, that keeps amazing me. It's interesting, isn't it? Because when you put a device like that into the hands of users and you start putting it out into the public, you get these these, I suppose, scenarios, these use cases, as you said, are the things that, that maybe you guys never thought of. And then you say, my God, it can be used in this area as well. Mm-hmm, for sure. So another, you know, we added a new feature in after all, like the initial rounds of testing. Um, so right now, if you're in a crowded place and you're sta- or you're standing in a, like a networking conference, something like that, and having a conversation with someone in front of you, then the buzz clip would be sort of vibrating all the time because that person's within that one meter or two meter field. So a new feature that we just incorporated in is that um, after about three seconds of, of the buzz clip realizing that it's a fixed distance from something, it will uh, eventually it will uh, go to sleep, our energy conservation mode, and then as soon as that person you're talking to or you start moving again, it'll uh, kick back into gear and um, do its thing. I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking that could be very useful for there's the the uh, age old uh, issue that people I suppose who are totally blind to particular face where you're talking to somebody and the person maybe just doesn't think and suddenly the person has left the room and you're still there talking you say yeah. oh the person's <clears> gone <throat> so uh, maybe we need a buzz clip to help us there so they can tell us that the person has left the room for sure that's that's something that came up a few times and uh, and yeah th- at least this way because you, you know even our some of our friends are totally blind and we don't realize it ourselves right like we we sit here on the couch and we'll quickly get up and go get a drink of water. Um, so this way, you know, you'd have, you basically have this information all the time that you know who's walking past you and who's gone up and, and everything like that. Okay. Guys, it sounds fantastic. Um, I'm very excited to sort of keep in touch with what you're doing and with the innovation that you've shown. How can people who are listening to this podcast find out, keep up to date with what you're doing and hopefully get a chance to order the product later in 2016? Okay, so um, you can go to our website, which is www.immersive.com, spelled I-M-E-R-C-I-V. Um, you could also email us at info at immersive. So that's I-N-F-O at I-M-E-R-C-I-V dot com. Our phone numbers would be, uh, my phone number would be plus one six four seven nine one nine nine two six nine, And you can reach Ben at plus one six four seven nine one nine 
6565. All right. I'm uh, certainly looking forward to staying in touch with you guys to find out what happens to that product. I think it's something we're going to hear a lot more about. Congratulations on your innovation and your research. And uh, Ben and Arjun, uh, let's keep in touch for the moment. Thank you very much for joining us and have a very happy Christmas. Yeah, you too, Stuart. Thank Thank you so much. Many thanks to Arjan and Bin. Uh, with the buzz clip, I'm very excited about the future of that device. And thank you to both guys for taking the time to talk to us about it. You know, it, it, it strikes me and, and, and it struck me even when I was um, editing that, that, that piece afterwards that we started our podcast uh, this year. I think it was a, maybe not the first edition, but the second edition, the February edition for 2015. We spoke with Ed Rogers and Steph Tiska. And I was commenting at that time. If you remember, they were from Bristol Braille Technology and the Brailleists. And they were telling us about the Canute refreshable Braille display. And if you didn't hear that, go back to February's edition. You can listen to it. But it struck me at the time that here's two fully sighted guys who are passionate about making something accessible for visually impaired people. And here's Bin and Arjan, two fully sighted guys doing something pretty much the same. And they're to be highly commended. I'm really impressed with their approach. And I think the buzz clip is going to be one to watch in 2016. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on it in NCB anyway. And uh, we'll certainly keep you posted if there's any further news on this podcast. That's just about it. It's been a wonderful year. And thank you so much to everybody who's gotten involved in the podcast. If you're a listener and you got in touch, you sent an email, maybe you didn't send an email, maybe you met me in somewhere or you called up on the phone, or you just listened and downloaded and subscribed. Thank you very much for doing so. To all the many contributors, thank you sincerely. And a very special thank Thank you to my colleagues in NCBI who always remain supportive of the podcast. I have to give a special mention to Sharon Lyons, who has really set a new standard with her feature this year, Sharon's Shortcuts, and that will be back in January. Also in January, Dave Nason's going to be joining us to talk about the new Apple TV. Thank you for this month, of course, to Niall Gallagher, Josh O'Connor, and of course, Arjan and Bin. And it just leaves me for, to say to you guys, have a very happy, peaceful and safe Christmas. And I look forward very much to another year of technology in 2016. I've thoroughly enjoyed bringing 2015's podcasts to you. I'm looking forward to next year already. Until January, this is Stuart Lawler saying take care. Thank you for listening and uh, happy Christmas again. Bye bye.